0: today that through the words that I'm speaking, that somehow you would be in them, that you would speak through me and to me, because I need to hear your voice as well. And that, Lord, if there's anything in here that doesn't come from you, that that would fall flat on the floor and not be distracting. God, help us to hear your voice and walk in obedience today. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so this idea of deconstruction uh, is is something that you can even see if you look at the modernist philosophers, uh, you know, guys like Rene Descartes, David Hume, uh, Immanuel Kant, these were people who had robust epistemologies. That's the study of knowing the things that we know, and in order to build those uh, philosophies, a lot of these guys started with some really radical doubt, some really radical questioning of the foundations of knowledge, and how do we know what we know, and what's, what's really real. Rene Descartes is sort of the famous example of this. He, he said, what if there's a trickster demon that is lying to me, and all of my senses are, are actually just a dream? And then from that sort of baseline of solipsism, or not knowing if anything is real at all, you can tell that the people who wrote The Matrix... Uh, movies. They were somebody's been reading Descartes when they when they came up with that idea of you know we're all plugged in and everything's a dream. Uh, you know the, the, these ideas of deconstructionism. These are actually really old ideas, and they're not really unique to European philosophy or history. Uh, but they you know you can go back 300, 400 years. The difference is is the modernists tried to build something from that from that raised foundation. Uh, Descartes said, "Cogito ergo sum." which is the Latin phrase that means, I think, therefore I am. There's something that's thinking right now and that thinking thing must be me and so there must be some kind of a real reality here. I must not just be dreaming and then he kind of tried to build his philosophy up from that. In contrast, some of the uh, philosophers that come from Europe and again, this idea of deconstruction is not unique to European philosophy uh, or influence. You can find it probably in lots of cultures uh, but Jacques Derrida is the one who's uh, famous for coining the phrase deconstruction. And the idea of deconstruction is that you take something apart and you see how all the parts work and you and you critique it, right? Foucault is another famous example of a postmodernist or a deconstructionist philosopher. He said that all truth claims are actually claims about power. All truth claims are actually claims about power. And so... Uh, You know, that's a really interesting idea. I find it to be a bit melodramatic and a bit cynical. Uh, You know, when I'm teaching students how to subtract three from both sides of an equation to solve for X, I don't really think I'm making a claim about power. I think I'm just trying to teach them some knowledge. I think I'm just trying to teach them some truth that's pretty uh, just, you know, irreducible. And, And I don't really have much of an agenda there other than to help them learn how to think critically and logically. But... At the same time, you know, when you look back at the events of the 2016 and the 2020 elections, it's hard not to see how there is some truth in what Foucault was saying about claims about truth are claims about power, and whoever controls the narrative about what's true will will have some power, will have some influence in the society, uh, and the, who we trust uh, really matters when it when it comes to talking about power structures. Baudrillard is another name that I think is kind of important and maybe even significant, particularly for our particular church. Baudrillard is the the social critic who coined the term hyperreality. And if you remember that book that we read years ago by Mark Sayers, The Trouble with Paris, uh, he talks a lot about hyperreality, how we're living in a time where Instagram has really turned the volume up on this. Where the there's a sort of reality that's projected that's that's better than what's actually real, and you know you can go to an amusement park or you know what we see in advertising. So much of what we see is is actually what's projected at us isn't actually real. It's it's you know it's hyped up, and uh, and so you know sometimes these critiques are really useful. Lyotard is an authority who you know maybe the most tried to define what postmodernism is he said that postmodernism is uh, is incredulity towards metanarratives incredulity towards metanarratives that's how leotard uh, defined postmodernism and so there you have it from one of the authorities within the movement you know uh, postmodernism is a lot more of a mood or an attitude than it is a proper philosophy and then wittgenstein he kind of picked apart language and had some interesting things to say about how language can uh, you know limit us and and also uh, you know, just the way that language gets used in terms of, of describing things and critiquing that. But, you know, the thing about deconstructionism, it's got some positives and it's got some negatives, right? There's some real positives and there are some negatives. I'd say on the positive side, the deconstructionists or the postmodernists, they reveal how central faith is to the human experience. Through their critique and through their, you know, kind of, uh, you know, questioning things and trying to get down to the bottom of what's really going on, they show how really, if you're going to know anything, you have to trust someone. And if you're going to, if you're going to do anything with your life, you know, really, all of us, all of us are kind of just on even footing when it comes to philosophy and knowing what's real and all of it. All of us are really just trying to do our best trying to figure it out and there's some there's some risk involved. There's some risk involved in in the life that we're building. Some risk that that demands that we step out in faith that we try something not really sure if it's going to work or not. That certainty might just be hubris. And that faith is actually how everybody is getting through their life. I think that that is maybe actually a positive uh, thing for people to understand, and the deconstructionists really really point that out. they really show how that 's true on the negative side but, or you know maybe a simpler way to just say what I just said is that everyone has faith in something it 's not a question of do you have faith. The question is what is your faith in? what are you building on? what are you working towards, uh, and what is what is your faith based on? Is it something that 's trustworthy? Uh, or is it something else? I think on the negative side, though, uh, deconstructionists uh, have really helped usher in the post-truth era. Now, one thing I did not see coming is I did not see the post-truth era being ushered in by the political right, uh, and particularly among people called evangelicals. I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. That one really hit me uh, upside the head. That one was really surprising. But we live in an era where there's widespread cynicism uh, widespread doubt of institutions, and I want to say this too, though, uh, not without reason, not without reason. you know people doubt the scientists, people doubt the medical community because there 's a lot of corruption in the medical community. when you look at the uh, when you look at the situation we have with the opioid pandemic we have that that was uh, that happened because of big pharma and and these institutions that uh that are corrupt when we look at you know sports uh the church you know all all these institutions that have these these scandals these wild terrible sex scandals hollywood just all these all these institutions that uh that we're supposed to be able to trust uh and they're so corrupt they're so messed up uh and then you know it's never been more true that we're living in a time where people will just surround themselves with what their itching ears want to hear. You know, people want, uh, want their bias confirmed. They want them. They, we we all want to have what we already believe, uh, confirmed from a voice that agrees with us. It's a very natural human inclination. And so the trouble though, is that living in this post truth world, uh, it's pretty dark, it's pretty confusing. Uh, and so, you know, the, the loss of a shared reality, the loss of an experience of, we all kind of see things the same way, uh, that is something to grieve. And that is something that, uh, is, I think, a negative of this trend of deconstructionism or postmodernism or this attitude of incredulity towards metanarratives. Um, It's hard to live in a post-truth era, and it's hard to know what's real and who to trust. And can I believe what I'm being told from this authority figure? Is this authority figure trustworthy or not? Uh, Living with that cynicism and that insecurity uh, is actually more difficult um, experientially. But the truth is, is that in a confusing world where institutions are corrupt and where there is no Agreed upon meta narrative, there is no agreed upon big story that we all agree is real. We, we question, you know, are the scientists lying to us because we've already noticed corruption in those institutions? Um, sometimes we do find that deconstruction is actually necessary, that it is something that we have to do if we're going to continue on a quest to find the truth. And to build a life and to build a faith that is real, that doesn't need to be torn down. You know, sometimes we are moving along and we find in our faith, we find some, some hinges or some tints of, of racism or sexism or classism. And we see how our faith has been corrupted by these things. It's necessary when we find those things, when we find a sexist belief in our hearts that we've harbored unconsciously, for us to take that apart. We need to remove that. We need to get that out. You know, a few years ago, my uh, my bathroom on our first floor, uh, we had a really cold couple of weeks, and we had some some pipes freeze, and the pipes burst, and and so then we we hired a plumber to come out and fix that. But I had to go, and I had to. Do some repairs of the foundation and all kinds of stuff, and then and then and then I think it was five or six months later. the uh, The toilet started to leak, and so you know when the toilet starts to leak, uh, that that soaks into the floor. You know, I walked into the floor; and it was squishy, and it smelled. And you know, when that's when that happens, when we find that situation, we have to take things apart and fix them. We can't just pretend that it's all okay, right? You, you have to tear it you have to tear the floor out you can 't just let that sewage sit in the floor and rot and you know let everything stick you, you, you have to take it apart. you have to deconstruct maybe uh, maybe a less uh, gruesome or a less disgusting example is um, actually comes comes from uh, from an experience I had actually a couple weeks ago i was uh, I was at home with my with my eight year old my eight year old is such a brilliant smart kid. He does these really complex Lego constructions. But he had gotten to a point where he was stuck and he wanted some help. And so he came and he asked me, he said, dad, can you help me with this? And I started to look at it. And I was, I was looking at the pictures and they just, they didn't match in the instruction books. And so I, I figured out that uh, early on, you know uh, it turned out to be about a hundred steps ago he had made a few mistakes where he was missing a few pieces and he had put, put a few pieces in the wrong place. Real easy to do. You know nobody here has ever nobody here has ever had trouble uh, with their IKEA furniture. Have they? you know no, nobody here has ever ever made a mistake. you know forgot you know, put something the wrong way in on the, on the IKEA furniture, you know the shelf you missed one little detail in the instructions you had to go back you had to take the whole thing apart that's what it's like with our faith sometimes sometimes we make a little mistake that we didn't see and i have to say you know now i can't i can't write this stuff i can't i can't write this stuff but but my my eight-year-old he was he was pretty upset you know he was frustrated he didn't want to have to rebuild everything he didn't want to have to take it apart and, and and go back to the beginning and and uh, and he didn't want to take responsibility for it either. He he wanted to blame the instruction manual. Are you catching the analogy here? Like I'm so I'm just like I can't write this stuff. I'm telling you. Like he he said it's the instruction manual and the instruction manual lied to me. It's not that I made a mistake. The instruction manual is the blame, right? You know, it's like that's so natural for us to to reach for blaming something else or someone else even when we know that that that, you know, it wasn't the instruction manual. It wasn't the IKEA manual. It wasn't the LEGO manual. We made a mistake, and now we have to go back and we have to fix it. And so when we go back to fix it, we have to take everything apart. And that's really tedious, and it's hard, and it's disappointing. And it's difficult. But I have to say that it is sometimes necessary if we're going to continue, because you can't continue to build at a point... No. Well, I mean, you know, you can continue to build, but eventually you'll get stuck, right? you know because that's what he did. he He built until he couldn't build anymore, and then he had to go back and he had to take it all apart, and actually i I ended up doing it for him just because I was like you know he was he was really upset, and so I said, L- let me help you with this. Let me go back, and i'll I'll help you out. I'll take it apart. If I was a good dad, I would' have made him do it himself, but i was I was an indulgent father, so I said, "I'll take it apart for you." And I'll go back and I'll fix those things so that you can, you can have fun. Because this is the point of a Lego thing, is to have fun. Right? Sometimes deconstruction is necessary. But it's chaotic. It's often painful. It usually looks messy. And it can be really confusing. I want to build a life that I don't have to take apart. I want to build a faith that as much as possible, I can avoid that pain. And so I want to look to the scriptures right now and hear from the Lord, hear from Jesus. This is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Lord, let me be like one who teaches with your authority and not as so many pastors and not as so many teachers of the law. We have to be the kind of people who listen to Jesus. If we want a foundation that lasts, we have to build on Jesus' words, and we have to not just believe them, but we also have to do them. We have to build a whole life. I want to just say... That deconstruction is sometimes necessary, but it's also important to understand that deconstruction on its own is not a foundation. Deconstruction is not a foundation, it's not the end goal. It's really only the beginning of the work of renovation. And I know this is hard to hear, but we have to recognize that demolition is unskilled labor. This picture that you see of this giant rat, and I don't know how the Resolution may have not come in very really great uh, but this is a picture of scabby the Rat out in front of the Wawa in Philadelphia. Wawa is a chain of gas stations. I would say it's like the best gas station or convenience store in the world. If you've ever been to a Wawa, you know what I'm talking about. The sandwiches are amazing uh, everything's you know it's just it's like the proto gas station. Every other gas station is a shadow on the wall of the cave but uh, you know I see some I see some praise for quick trip in the chat. Look, I'm telling you, Quick, Trip's, Quick Trip has nothing on the Wawa. But what happened in Philadelphia is Wawa was hiring some, um, some people to do some work. They, they were doing some demolition work in order to do some renovations. And in Philadelphia, the, the unions run the town. And so whenever somebody hires anybody to do any construction work, and the unions get get word of it that it wasn't it wasn't a union, or sometimes it wasn't their union. You know, like you know, oh, that's not a real union. Yeah, yeah. Then the unions show up and they protest. They bring out Scabby the Rat and they say, "You guys are hiring unskilled workers. You guys are hiring non-union employees to do this work, and that's wrong. We want you to hire. We want you to hire a union outfit." One time, I I happened to be working in a, in a fancy place in in downtown philadelphia i was a i was a valet at a fancy hotel i've had a lot of really odd jobs to support my ministry habit over the years and so i was parking cars and you know working for tips and that the the union guys were uh they were they were protesting and they said you know well they're having somebody do demolition at this hotel that you're working at they're having somebody do demolition up on the fifth floor and those guys that are doing demolition they're not union They're not. They're not trained. And I have to say, I, I was like, what do you want? You know, like, how is how is being part of a union gonna make sure that you have skilled labor when it comes to demolition? You're knocking walls over. You're swinging a hammer. And breaking stuff. This isn't skilled labor. It's, it's kind of something that just anybody can do. The, it, it makes sense for the construction company to pay the cheapest worker they can to do the de, to do the demolition because you know while it's work, it's unskilled work. It's, it's something really anybody can do. You know, everybody has seen a two or a three year old knock a, knock a tower of blocks over, right? It feels so satisfying, you know. I, I remember when my kids would do this. I still kind of like to do this, you know. You build the snowman and then you tear the snowman down. You build the sandcastle and you tear the sandcastle. You know, it makes you feel strong and powerful to break stuff. But it's actually it's actually pretty immature behavior, and it's it's also something that um, it takes a lot less skill and effort to actually build something, you know. Maybe one way to think about this is, you know, Derrida, he got some philosophy awards essentially for just being skeptical. And uh, a lot of people were upset by that. A lot of philosophers were upset by that because, you know, uh, you know, like Descartes, Descartes was also skeptical 400 years earlier. And then after he was skeptical, he helped invent calculus Inventing calculus is harder than poking a hole in somebody's philosophical argument. Inventing calculus is harder than uh, just saying you're wrong about that. And while critique has value, critique has merit, and it's important, we can see the benefits of a meaningful and useful critique. Uh, It's not the same thing as building. And demolition is not the same level of skill as measuring twice and cutting once and building a house that can stand against the wind and the rain and the floods. We want to be people who build a life. God is a builder and a creator. I don't think it's a mistake that God entrusted the carpenter, Joseph, to raise Jesus as his adopted son. That Jesus was sent into a family of Builders and craftsmen who were creating rather than just destroying and Jesus came to to break down walls, but he also came to build something. He came to build the church. This can't be the goal is all I'm saying. It might be important work, it might be necessary, and it is real work. you know I, I agree with the union guys that the people doing the demolition labor they deserve to get paid and they get deserve to get paid a living wage. But this can't be our end goal. It has to be higher than the mess of deconstruction. Paul said it this way, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The picture here is of Jews and Gentiles, people from radically different backgrounds, being built together into a community that stands and represents to the world the very presence of God with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. That the the foundation is the the apostles and the prophets, but built on that cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which we can build a life that doesn't need to be demolished and upon which won't be destroyed when the waves blow and the wind comes and the rain falls. You know, the wind wind is going to blow. The waves are going to come. The rain is going to fall. And the question is, is the faith that we have going to stand that test, the, the claim is, is that, that Jesus makes is that it will if we build a life that's based on obedience to him and trusting him. Things are going to be hard, and they're going to be tough, and there are going to be times of questioning, and we're going to need to do some renovations and some repairs. But if we build on that solid foundation of Jesus Christ, hopefully we don't have to start completely over. If we're going to build a faith or we're going to rebuild a faith that's going to last, it's important to be thorough and to go slow. And so this is one of the reasons why last week I was encouraging us to read some books. You know, read some read some books from some other people from some other periods of time and some other perspectives to listen to the body of Christ, uh, you know, presently and throughout the ages that has seen God from different perspectives, you know. We see that the building that God is making in Ephesians two is from people with different backgrounds, people with different beliefs, people from from uh, from different experiences of life, and that diversity of thought and experience is important for the longevity and the strength of a community. Uh, it actually makes something that will last and that is more broad and and uh, and helpful. You know, we want to we want to build and and make a life of faith that is going to last we need to actually take the time to think through and pray and ask God is what I'm reading true is this real uh you know one example um of this I think is just you know the the opportunity and sometimes building building takes a lot longer than breaking stuff but it can also be a lot more beautiful and when we when we find ourselves needing to deconstruct some things we can build back something more beautiful and more fun. This is the this is that floor that i referenced earlier that we end up tearing out. And uh my kids and the neighbor kids and maybe a few kids from this church. I think I think uh maybe I think this is Anders Todd over here. I don't know if you can see my arrow. Uh but i think there's a few yeah, a few of our neighbor friends and my kids and my beautiful wife. Uh we ended up making a penny floor in that bathroom. And so if you've ever come over to our house and used our guest bathroom, you can see that Cool, kind of beautiful penny floor, but it, it took some time. It took it took a little doing to be able to rebuild, to be able to build back something that would last. That was actually better than what we had before. Uh, but sometimes the rebuilding is slow, and it takes time. The real work of deconstruction is what comes after we break all the stuff. The real work comes when we build back, and we want to build back slow and deliberately and carefully and do something that will really last. Um, The the Apostle Paul, uh, in his missionary journeys, he encountered some people that that get some praise in, in the commentary from Luke. It says this, Now the Berean Jews, in the city of Berea, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see... If what Paul said was true, you know, so they didn't just take him at his word. They actually looked and said, does this fit? Does this fit the scriptures? Does this fit the trajectory of what God seems to have been doing from creation until the present day? Does this fit that narrative? Does this match the character of God? And then it says that because they really looked, they really investigated to see if it was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And so even though these these Berean Jews were looking at the scriptures, they were actually able to be effective at helping people who came from a completely different background, from a completely different experience of life, to find the same truth because it was actually true. The gospel is true, and, and we can test it against the scriptures. I would always encourage you to Uh, I would always, I would always uh, encourage uh, everyone to please, you know, really, really test what I what I say. Does it doesn't line up with what the scriptures say? Really believe that, okay, right? Really, really put that into practice. All right. Something that I think connects here too, though, is that Murray Bowen, who's the guy who kind of invented family systems thinking, and is uh, kind of at work in the background when we talk a lot about emotional health and emotional maturity. He said this, and I think this is really a really helpful test. He says, the pseudo-self is made up of beliefs and principles acquired through the relationship system in the prevailing emotion. That is, beliefs are borrowed from others or accepted in order to enhance one's position in relationship to others. And this is just something to be aware of when we're looking at what we believe and why we believe what we believe. So the pseudo self being made of you know beliefs and principles are acquired through the relationship system in the prevailing motion. So this is kind of like, you know, um, my dad was mean to me and he was a Christian, so I'm never going to believe Christianity." Or when I was a kid, all of my friends uh, in the youth group uh, you know told me, you know they, they gave me affirmation and they encouraged me to believe in Christianity, and so I believe in Christianity because it gets me accolades, because it gets me social approval. But really, either way you look at it, both of those ways of of determining what to believe based on how people around us react to us, uh, based on what we believe, are are really kind of immature. They're not really they're not really coming from within. They're not really coming from a place of having really considered is this true. Uh, it both of those ways of believing, whether they're for Christianity or not, uh, are ways of reacting to others. And so we want to be aware of that as we're trying to build a life of faith. When we're looking at trying to really consider, is this true or not? We need to take the time to go slow, to, to, to pray, to, to ask God to look at the scriptures, to consider... Is this something I can really believe in uh, because I actually believe it? Or am I just believing this or disbelieving it because it will help me feel accepted or, um, or you know, maybe give me a, the thrill of you know, rebelling against my parent figure that I don't get along with or something like that? We want to be aware of our reasons for why we're questioning or why we're believing And that's important. That's important work. It's slow work. It's work that shouldn't be rushed. It's work that needs to be done. Uh, And if we're going to build a life that that can last and a life of faith that is secure, uh, we're not just looking at the opinions of others. We're looking at what do we actually trust? What do we really believe in? And being aware of how our social situation uh, affects that is an important part of the discernment process. And it's part of the reason why we need to go slow when we build back up when we build our life on something. Hopefully we're becoming the kind of people who are not tasked back and forth, that we're not just being pulled this way and that by whatever's popular in the moment. Uh, Paul says that hopefully one day we will then no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming we want to be people who believe what's true because we've done the work to really investigate is it actually true and so finally i would just say in addition to building a life that hopefully will last uh, building a faith that will act actually stand in the in the middle of trials and and tests and things uh, we need to be thorough we need to go slow but We also need to build a whole life, not just ideas. We have to build a whole life, not just ideas. And so I just want to read this this passage again, these statements from Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. He says that, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The teachers of the law in Jesus' day weren't doing what they preached. And I'll be honest and say there are a lot of times when I'm a lot more like the teachers of the law that, that Jesus is uh, not like here. You know, there, there are many times when I don't practice everything I preach and when i approach god in his holiness and his love i i find that i need to pray those prayers of confession i need to say i i haven't done it i i haven't i haven't done what i said i should do and i haven't even done what i've told other people they should do i haven't i haven't walked in obedience i maybe i've heard god's words maybe i've understood them a little bit but i i don't even know where to start You know, I don't I I I I fall very short of having put into practice the things that I'm learning or that I'm hearing from Jesus. But if I want to build a life that's going to last, if I want to build a life that's not just arguing, it's not just philosophical, it's not just ideas being tossed around, I have to do the loving of neighbors. I have to do the loving of God. I need to embody the ideas in practice through prayer, through fasting, through giving sacrificially, through you know confessing my sins and repenting of them, through, through actually building a life that's based on obedience and doing the things that Jesus says I should do. I have to pray for the sick, and I have to pray for them when I want to and when I don't. I have to. I have to declare and demonstrate good news, even when I might not be feeling it myself. Even when I am, uh, even when I'm hurting, uh, I'm called to be part of the work of comforting others. And so, it's not just. It's not just about ideas. It's not just about philosophies. It's not just about arguments. It's about building a life, a life that is rooted and connected in God. I want to give time, and I can see there's some discussion happening in the chat. I'm sorry I haven't been able to follow or respond to all of that uh, right now. But I I want to give us time to to pray and to pray in small groups. Before we do that, let me just welcome the Holy Spirit and ask God to comfort us on this journey, wherever we're at. If we're still in the process of tearing things apart uh, or if we've moved on to, to trying to build something, um, we want God's help in that whole process and we, want, we want God to be our foundation We want Jesus to help us build a life that will last I know that in many times in my life I've had to take things apart And I've had to build them back I've tried to do that work slowly and with the help of God What I've found is that Jesus is always faithful Even when leaders um, fail me Even when I let myself down Jesus' grace is, is sufficient for me, and he's interested in helping me build a life uh, that can last. And so I want to ask for his help right now as we turn to uh, pray for each other and, and just kind of respond to God in these moments. So, Lord, I welcome your presence one more time. God, I ask that you would be with us, that you would help us to do the work together. Whether we're doing the work of taking apart things that are broken or we're doing the work of um, trying to build something that will work better. God, I ask that you, in your grace and your mercy and your love for us, that you would hold us, that you would take care of us, that you would be our foundation, that you would be the rock upon which we build our lives Lord, I ask that you would give us the gift of faith, that we could trust you, and that through that gift that we would find that we have good work to do, that you've prepared for us. Lord, I ask that you would build us together, that we could be like bricks holding each other up, and that we would, as a community, reflect your goodness to the world.